Thank you for that worship this morning. It's beautiful hearing our choir, uh, to hearing our congregation, to our band lead. Uh, I just love worshiping the Lord uh, with music and singing just very rich uh, theological truth uh, through song. So thank you for uh, the worship this morning. Now, if you have your Bible, we'll be in John 13. I will be finishing up uh, chapter 13 today. Again, we started this last January, going through the Gospel of John with this uh, theme of come and see. Uh, really, the, the heartbeat of John's Gospel is come and see Jesus. And John wants us to come and see Jesus because he wants us to believe who Jesus is. He wants us to believe in the work that he is doing and that by believing, we will have eternal life. Uh, so that is really the heartbeat of the whole gospel. And then as we started this year, 2023, uh, the Lord just worked it out to where we transitioned from the public ministry of Jesus, the first 12 chapters, to the uh, private ministry of Jesus, which is really just Jesus and his disciples in an upper room. Uh, we call it the upper room discourse or the upper room sermons or the uh, the farewell discourse, Jesus is giving his farewell remarks to his closest friends, to his disciples. Now, with that as just a little background, how many of you struggle with any kind of change whatsoever? Like, I expect everybody's hands to go up, right? <laughs> like, my hand goes up. I, I am somewhat routine-driven, and I just get all out of whack when something changes throughout the day, Right? You know, you're supposed to do something, and uh, I, I just, change is hard. Uh, for us, moving a family for, from good old Oakborough to good old China Grove, that, that's hard. Now, it was worth it, and we're grateful to be here, but that, it's just hard. Change is very, very, very hard in all aspects of life. Change produces anxiety. Change can amplify pain. Change can cause great confusion, depression, uh, uncertainty, and yet change is not always a bad thing. Change is somewhat necessary. I, I have a cell phone. Now, I've realized that I'm getting older, okay? I'll, I'm knocking on the door of 40. <laughs> See, all, all, all the people older than 40 are laughing, right? <laughs> but I know things change at 40, my eye doctor called me old last or two weeks ago because I'm getting close to 40. Uh, but I have reached a point in my life. Now, yet students, understand something. I went through life without a cell phone, okay? I did not have a cell phone until like a senior in high school. So I'm in this weird generation where we didn't have it and then we had it, okay, as kind of young people. I'm at the stage now where I need a new cell phone but I don't want to get one because they change them, right? And I just now figured out, like yesterday, figured out how to use the one I got to the most effective way it can be used. And like, they change, the buttons change, the look changes, and I may be a little old fuddy-duddy. I just like what I got on my cell phone. I, I don't want to have to learn where all these new settings are. Uh, and I was thinking about that a little bit. Uh, I understand the world we live in is changing fast. Technology is advancing quickly, and it does make us uncomfortable. It does lead to confusion. 
And you're like, oh, he's getting ready to do a sermon on change. Well, yeah, but it's not what you're thinking. Because the disciples are getting ready to experience a massive change in their life. It's going to be almost a switch is going to flip overnight. And everything that they had thought, everything that they had known, everything that they had dreamed about and hoped for is going to change. I mean, not just a little bit, drastically. The conquering military king they thought they were following is days away from hanging on a cross. That's, that is a massive change in their life. The guy they have followed for three to three and a half years, they've traveled with him, they've ate with him, they've ministered with him, he's taught them. He's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to go away. And Jesus has been preparing them for that. He's He's told them and he tells them again that, hey, I'm going somewhere and you're not going to be able to go. That is a massive change that is getting ready to happen. Do you understand? These disciples left everything. They left their families behind to follow Jesus. They left their jobs behind to follow Jesus. They left everything. And now, honestly, overnight, it's going to change. And they're going to be confused. They're going to be depressed. They're going to be scared. They're going to be trying to figure out what's next. What do I do now that this master, now that my rabbi, now that my leader, now that my savior, what am I going to do? But Jesus understands what they're going to experience. Jesus understands what we today here in 2023 as a church trying to follow him He understands. And so this farewell discourse really is centered upon Jesus trying to teach the disciples how to follow him when he's physically not with them anymore. It's his kind of his last instructions that, hey, I know you're going to be confused. I know you're not going to understand what's getting ready to happen. But you can still follow me and you can still follow my teachings. And so from the end of chapter 13 all the way really through 16 and 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to follow him once he's gone. It's centered upon discipleship and it's filled with doctrines about heaven and the Holy Spirit and just just rich theological truths that they need to know in order to continue following him and telling others about him. That's the heartbeat of what we are are looking at in this farewell discourse because change is coming and Jesus wants his disciples to know how to navigate it. He wants them to understand and to look at things in the right way. So if you have your Bibles, starting in verse 31 of chapter 13. Judas has just left. Remember, that's where we left off last week. Judas has just exited stage right. And so so when he had left, Jesus said this. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Oh, little children, I'm with you a little longer. You will look for me, 
And just as I had told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. So I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter says, where are you going? You got to love Peter. And Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter asks, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. It's a pretty powerful start to this farewell message that Jesus is giving to his disciples. There's really two main insights that I want us to see in this text. And the first one is discipleship. Being a disciple is first and foremost founded and grounded on the work of Christ. That is the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Now, he doesn't reference the cross in this passage. But he's clearly talking about the cross. Uh, Because when someone hangs on a cross, the, the thinking is that they're shame. It's a place of shame. It's a place of guilt. It's a place of curse, uh, curseness. It's a place of cruelty. Nobody looks at a criminal on a cross and says, hey, I'm going to follow that guy. Nobody looks at a criminal on a cross and says, that's, that's glorified. That's a good place to be. So the world at this time in history sees the cross as just a place of shame and guilt And the disciples are going to see Jesus hanging on this cross. And he just right out of the gate, he says, that work that I am doing on the cross is not a work of shame. It's not a work of guilt. It is a work of glorification. And for discipleship, for disciples, we have to understand that the very first thing is that the work that Christ does is the reason we can follow him today. The work on the cross is essential to discipleship. And uh, again, uh, what Jesus is doing, I I think this may be a really bad illustration, but it's the best one I could come up with. When I make homemade bread, great stuff, by the way, awesome. I take my flour, my Crisco, secret ingredient, some of you use butter. You hadn't lived till you put a big lard of Crisco in your homemade bread, (laughs) all right? You put your yeast in it, That explains a lot, too. I use Crisco in a lot of things. But anyway, that's okay. Neither here nor there. You put all these ingredients in. Now, if Larson would come up to me and say, what you doing? I could say, well, I'm using my KitchenAid mixer with this kneading paddle, and I'm taking flour and yeast and Crisco and all this other stuff, and I'm just mixing it together to form a dough. But what I often say is, I'm making bread, right? I'm giving the big picture. I'm saying all this stuff in here, it's just going to be bread, Jesus is saying the big picture is the cross is a place of glorification. You know, he, he's not saying that you know, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. He's just saying the big picture is I'm going to be on a cross and it's a place where I will be glorified. And here's why. 
Here's why it brings glory to him. Here's why it brings glory to God. Because on the cross, Jesus steps in my shoes and your shoes and the shoes of the disciples. And he says, I'm hanging here so you don't have to. I am bearing the weight of your sins. I am the penalty for your sins. This go all the way back to where John the Baptist says, Jesus, you are the lamb of God. John the Baptist uses that to say the lambs are sacrificial animals and that you have to sacrifice lambs in order to be saved. And Jesus now says, I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the once and for all lamb of God who's gonna hang on a cross for the sins of the world. And that work that I do for you is why you can follow me, why you can have hope, why you can have restoration, why you can be restored from your brokenness. It's because of the work that I do. And that brings me glory. And it brings God glory because like John's already told us, for God so loved the world. For God loved the world. When we see Jesus hanging on the cross, our response should be worship. Our response should be thank you. Our response should be, Jesus, I surrender my heart to you. Everything that is about to happen is going to happen in order to bring glory to God. A place of shame and guilt is now going to be a place of glory. And so we worship as a response to that. We're able to worship as a response to that. Listen, the cross fuels our worship. What we are to do or when, when we go through those times, and we all experience this, when we go through times when worship seems stale, when we go through times where it seems hard to worship, we go back to the cross. We go to the cross. We go to the feet of Jesus and we see the blood dripping from his body. Because it's the cross where we see God on full display. When you're at the foot of the cross, God will never seem distant. Listen, true, passionate worship springs from a heart that has been gripped by the grace of God displayed on the cross. The cross is the foundation of why we are here today as a church. Without the cross, we're just a group of people here for an inspirational message. But because of the cross, we are a body of believers that God has brought together to worship him, to glorify him. And that is the foundation. Listen, I said at the very beginning of our series that there are steps to salvation. You know, we went through them. The very first step is God works first. God works first. 
There is then there's a pre- and a part of that is a presentation of the gospel. For someone to understand what it means to be saved, God works in their heart. The gospel truth is presented to them. And then for some people, they, 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 they seek to learn more. For some people, they have an initial reaction. And that initial reaction is, I got to ask more questions. For other people, the initial reaction is, yes, I believe today. For others, it's an outright rejection of that gospel. But God always works first. God draws us to his place. God, everybody in this room is here because God drew you here today. You're a part of this church because God led you here. So don't ever lose sight that the cross, the work of Jesus, is the foundation of our discipleship. Because it displays the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And so that's where Jesus starts. He says, guys, friends, don't see me as a loser. See me as a victor. Continue to see me as a king, but a heavenly king who died for your sins. And then worship me, worship me. The second insight that we see is that Jesus goes building upon this idea that the cross is kind of the foundation of discipleship. It comes from a place of love. He says discipleship is now an expression of, of the love of Christ. Discipleship is founded on the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, and discipleship is an expression of the love of Christ. There's a, and, and this, these phrases are going to be just sprinkled throughout this farewell discourse, but he says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. Now, the one thing it's important is this really isn't like a brand new command. Okay, this isn't something new that nobody has ever said before. Uh, in fact, the Old Testament has a similar, uh, a similar command. It says, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the Old Testament part of this. And so it's still this idea of loving each other is not new, but what Jesus does is he gives it a freshness. He gives it a freshness. He gives it a newness. It's like you go to wash your car, right? Your car's not new, but it's fresh looking, especially you put the armor all on your tires, make it shine real good. It's not a new car. It's, it's a fresh car. This commandment of loving each other is not new, but Jesus gives it a freshness and he gives it a, an action, Right? It's the action of I'm going to love you by dying for you on a cross. The Greeks had several words for love. One of those is the agape love, right? And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard that word agape, this unconditional love. Greek people did not use it often because they felt like there was no way to achieve that level of love. They didn't feel like anybody could truly love another person like the, the agape word expresses, okay? It's, a, it's an unconditional love or a love in action. And yet Jesus uses it over and over in the Bible or the New Testament uses it because Jesus in his action of laying down his life for his friends demonstrates that unconditional love. And now he looks at his disciples and he says, love each other. 
Now, again, Old Testament says, love your neighbor as who? Yourself. Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. See the difference? Don't love each other as you love yourself. Love as I have loved you. We are to love our neighbors. Now, uh, this is what Spurgeon says about it. Charles Spurgeon says, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us. And that is far more than we love ourselves. I don't want you to lose sight that he is talking to the 11 remaining disciples. The application of this passage is that the church loves each other as Christ has loved us. That we would, that we would come here and, and love each other in such a way that represents how Christ loved us. Now, you, you might be thinking, and you've probably heard sermons like, well, we need to love the outside world as Christ. Well, yes, but this passage is for the church. Here's what happens. When the church loves each other as Christ loved us, it's attractional. I've been watching this documentary on Hillsong Church. Uh, I don't know what channel it's on. But, and then been reading books on seeker-sensitive church growth models and then attractional church growth models. Uh, there's a lot of troubling things in, in those models. There's some good things, some good principles, but there's a lot of troubling aspects of seeker-sensitive and attractional church growth models. Um, lots and lots of troubling things. But I got to thinking about that study in this passage. Do you know what's attractive to the outside world? People who love each other. Have you ever thought about that? Do you know what attracts people to the church? Love. When they see a group of people who are diverse in thinking, and whether it's politics or skin color or opinions, they see all these people together and they're loving each other. That's attractional because they don't get that in the world. Now, churches that don't love like Jesus, they're going to die. They're going to decline. But churches who love like Christ love, they're going to reach the nations with the gospel because they're doing what Jesus told them to do. That's the church growth principle. Go make disciples. Well, how do we make disciples? Well, one way is you just love each other like I loved you. And it was so novel because here's what happened in the first century. Rich people and poor people who would never get along with each other anywhere in the world worship together. Men and women worship together. Greek and Jews who are following Jesus who hate each other outside of the Christian world. They come together and they worship together. Samaritans and Jews come together and they worship. Why? Because they, they love like Christ loved them. That's the command for the church. And it's attractional. It's what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That just hit me right in the head. Right there. I've heard that, but somebody do that before. I just, yeah. That's what we need to do. Jesus, so Jesus says, listen, the foundation of your discipleship, the way that you continue following me is to understand the work that I'm getting ready to do brings glory to me. And then the next thing you have to do is love each other. 
And by extension, love other people. There are stories. You know they tried to eradicate the church, right? First, the Jewish people persecuted them. They tried to kill every single Christian. Then the Roman Empire came after them, tried to kill every single one of them. And yet, Christianity grew over and over and over. Why? Because the people saw how they loved each other. Because that love is a reflection of the love that Jesus shows us. The way we forgive each other when we mess up is a reflection of how Jesus forgives us. The way we set aside our differences and have healthy conversations and not screaming and yelling at each other is a reflection of the love that Jesus has for us. And so that is the first, really, two aspects of discipleship that we see. It starts with Jesus, and we have to love like Jesus. And then the section uh, ends with Peter wanting to follow, and then this prediction. That says, Peter, you're going to be so scared, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And we know that's true. And just to skip ahead, we know that Peter... We know that Peter will seek forgiveness for his denial and that he will preach the very first sermon on Pentecost where 3,000 people will be saved. That's where discipleship starts, with Jesus, and expresses the love of Jesus. So as we have this time of invitation, my challenge to you simply stems from the new commandment. How are we loving each other? How are we loving each other? How are we serving each other? Are we holding grudges? Are we holding hate in our heart? Do we need to confess something to the Lord? During this time of invitation as we worship, just reflect upon that. Are we loving as Christ loved us? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you that you loved us enough to die on a cross for us. And we pray that we would love each other like you loved us. We pray that we would love each other in such a way that attracts people, not just to us as a church, but to you as a Savior. That by loving each other, we show the world the love of Christ. So help us to be a people of love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.